So I'm going to talk to you today about the impact of sacrifice. Sacrifices are essential to the Christian faith, always have been. No matter how far back you go in the Old Testament or how far forward you go in the New Testament, worshipers make sacrifices. There is no Christian faith without sacrifice. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16 and 17 says, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. I hope the men are listening. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord God has blessed you. Notice that no one could worship without a sacrifice. And even in the New Covenant, Christians who are priests and kings now cannot worship God without a sacrifice. We just offered the sacrifice of praise, prayer, our time, our talent, and our treasure, even our bodies. We present our bodies living sacrifices, not dead ones. So you don't lose anything when you sacrifice to God. In fact, you gain. The key to receiving is the sacrifice of giving. Give, you shall receive. The key to ruling is the sacrifice of serving. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served or watch. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for others. Then the key to promotion is the sacrifice of humility. The way up is the way down. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will lift you up. The key to experiencing God's glory is the sacrifice of dying daily, not literally dying, but saying no to anything that pulls you away from God's kingdom. In other words, the key to reward is learning to put God first. That's why God made sacrifices essential to the Christian faith. He wants to bless you. In fact, sacrificial living releases the peace of God, the favor of God, and the blessing of God into all of our lives. So how do sacrifices affect God? How does he feel about your sacrifice? Well, let me point out some people. Noah, Noah, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. Noah's first earthly activity after the destruction of the earth by the flood was to offer God a tremendous sacrifice. So it says in Genesis 8, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt sacrifices on the altar, and the Lord smelled that sweet aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So think about the risk of Noah's sacrifice. After the flood, there was no animal life outside the ark, and Noah is taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, and he's sacrificing them to God. Now that was high risk, but look how God responded to Noah's sacrifice. God promised to never again curse the ground. He promised to never destroy the earth with a flood. He promised never to destroy all the creatures of earth. He promised to never eliminate the seasons. 
So Noah's sacrifice was an amazing act of faith. He believed God could take whatever was left over of the creatures on the ark after he sacrificed some of them and repopulate the animal kingdom on earth. And I've caught five raccoons in the last three weeks. So they are, they are populating. They are, I took one off this morning again. I don't know. I am not Noah. And they keep coming. And they keep coming. So that sacrifice was the best Noah could give. And it moved God's hand and it touched his heart. Do you know what an acceptable sacrifice is? Because most people don't seem to. It's something to which you attach value. A sacrifice is not something you have no, you, well, it's broke, let's give it to God. Well, we don't need it anymore. That's called junk. God doesn't operate a thrift store where we dump our junk. He doesn't reward when you give what you don't want anymore. He rewards when we give what is precious, dear, or valuable to us. How in the world can you call it a sacrifice when you don't need it? If you don't have a revelation of giving and sacrifice, you'll never give. All you'll do is hoard. So the level of your revelation about sacrifice and giving determines your willingness to sacrifice. Little understanding, little sacrifice. If you don't have a revelation of the value of an education, you'll never sacrifice to get one. If you don't understand the value of family, you'll never sacrifice. Same for marriage or career. And excuse me, marriage is not 50-50. Ask some married people who've been married more in a day. Sometimes it's a hundred nothing. Right, girls? Sometimes it's 70-40. I mean, get over that not 50-50 nonsense. A happy marriage is not because you got a hot body or a hot husband or a, a buff-looking uh, spouse. It's going to, and because they always make you happy. If you're going to have a long-standing marriage, I'll guarantee you both parties are making a sacrifice. Boy, that was a weak. That was a weak. Amen. You talk to people who've been married a long time. They thought about doing everything including did I even marry the right person? But they decided I made this commitment, and every time you press through that, that midlife crisis you're going through or you're, you're tempted to wander, the, you know, the grass always looks greener on the other side. But sometimes that grass is fake. And it's just a lie of the enemy. If you can press through those tough times, you'll end up saying, boy, I'm glad we didn't break up. I'm glad I didn't do something stupid. Because everybody goes through it. Everybody does. And it is a sacrifice in those moments of pain when you think, well, I'm sorry I married him or sorry I married her or what. You'll get through that. Everybody long term always does. So somebody needs to hear that today. My gosh, I don't know anybody that hadn't had every wild thought in the world that's been married long term. Okay. Now, once you have an understanding of the value of something, you'll make the sacrifice required to keep it intact. You know, your health, that's a sacrifice. I don't wake up saying, oh, golly gee, I cannot wait to get to the gym. Oh, I can wait till hell freezes over. Oh, yes, I can. But I'm not. But I could. And when I push that dessert away, chocolate cake last night, and push it away, I'm thinking I could devour you like a cartel member doing a kilo of cocaine. 
I could tear you up. But it's a sacrifice. And it's it, 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 because it hurts. A sacrifice hurts. Some of you have never had any pain for God in your life. You don't know what a sacrifice is. So your success in life depends on your willingness to make sacrifices. That will affect your life, your marriage, your education, your health, your spiritual growth. Well, I didn't feel like coming to church today. Well, stay in the bed. I didn't feel like giving. I didn't feel like serving. I don't feel like it every weekend. Yeah. I'm saying it's about commitment. It isn't about feeling. It's a sacrifice. And God loves it when you don't feel like praising him and you lift your hands and you praise him. That's a sacrifice. He appreciates it. He'll reward that. And so in your career, everybody that succeeds in anything has to make sacrifices. So God showed us how much he loved us by sacrificing his only begotten son. You think that was inconvenient? Well, I, you know, my schedule's so busy, I just don't have time. Jesus took time to leave heaven, die on a cross for you. And I'm thinking, who are you to sit on your bottom and say, I'm too busy. I, I, I've just got too much going, too much wrong stuff going, apparently. I mean, the God who came out of heaven, came to earth, was spit on, cursed, reviled, beaten, who took your punishment you deserve and I deserve and said, I'll take it for you, was killed and rose from the dead. You don't think that was inconvenient? I'd hate to face him and say, well, you know, I, I was busy, Lord. Sorry. And so, like our Heavenly Father, we give what's valuable to us. Let me mention three people who knew how to give to God. See if you don't grab something out of each of them. Abraham. God told Abraham, leave your country, leave your family, your relatives, your friends. And the guy did. And after he left his homeland, he and Sarah had a miracle baby in their old age named Isaac. And then God asked Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And amazingly, without hesitation, he went to Mount Moriah, built an altar, laid Isaac on it, and drew back his knife to kill him until an angel of God stopped his hand and commanded him to stop. He's 100 years old. His wife is 90. And God has finally given him a supernatural baby. And then God says, now give it back. Would you give back to God if he asked something that he gave to you, obviously? What a test. And look how God rewarded Abraham's sacrifice. Genesis 22, verse 16 through 18. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, sacrifice Isaac, and have not withheld your son, your only son. In blessing I will bless you. In multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Not because of your race, not because of your nationality, because you did what I asked you to do. You made the sacrifice. And he became known as the father of all who believe, the father of the Christian faith. And when Old Testament saints died, they went to paradise, which is called Abraham's bosom. And from Abraham's death until Christ's resurrection, Abraham governed paradise. The Lord knows how to reward sacrifice. Then there's another guy named Moses. 
He was raised in the luxury of Pharaoh's palace. He had it made. And when he came of age, he renounced kinship with Pharaoh and chose to suffer, chose to suffer with the people of Israel. I think about that. He gave up fame and wealth and power and prestige, including the throne of Egypt, to suffer with his own people. And when he sacrificed his association with Pharaoh, it led him, and I quote a scripture now, face to face with God, whom he talked with as a man talks to his friend. Now that'll set your hair on fire. He's talking face to face as a man talks to his pal with God. Holy Moses. Moses. <laughs> Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, gave us the ten suggestions. Oh, I'm sorry, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, you know, church light. Well, we only keep eight out of the ten. Less filling. Tastes great. He... <clears throat> Anyway, I don't want to go off on that little tangent. He, he worked more miracles than anybody but Jesus. God rewarded Moses' sacrifice. There's a guy named David. When Solomon's temple was built, scholars estimate that in today's money, David contributed over $3 billion for its construction out of his money, not out of the state treasury. No wonder God said David was a man after his own heart. And as much as Solomon is exalted, and he is, for his wisdom, and, and he starts out with a good heart, he built that magnificent temple of daddy's money. Let us not forget, Solomon had everything set up for him to build that temple. David was forbidden to build it because he was a man of war, but he got the merchandise, the equipment, the, the wood, the gold. He provided everything for the building of that temple. You know, we will pass on, we older people, who laid our lives down from a hotel ballroom to the building of Summit with three major purchases and building. We will pass on a heritage to the next generation in this church. They didn't build it. They stood on the shoulders of those who sacrificed to build it. We must never forget that. We each generation stands on the shoulders of the previous generation. And it's no wonder in the book of Ezekiel, God says that he will seat David at Christ's right hand during his earthly reign. So our sacrifices touch God's heart, move God's hand. You can be absolutely certain God has never ignored one tithe check or one sacrifice you have ever made for his cause, not one. So if sacrifices are essential to the Christian faith and God rewards our sacrifices, how does God reward them? Well, watch Luke 6. Verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men, notice not God, shall men give into your lap. God touches the heart of people to bless you. If you never had that, I'm a bit surprised, probably go back to no giving on your part. I've had people give into my bosom. Anybody but me ever had people give you something? I drive a, a five-year-old sports car that was given to me by a businessman who's not even a member of this church who just gave it to me. And I told everybody that wasn't church money and it's not in the church's name and I pay taxes on it and upkeep and maintenance and gas. But it was a gift. 
but I had given away two cars previously as well. So it's amazing how critical people get when God blesses you, but they don't see your sacrifice to obtain that blessing. And they're not willing to make one. Oh, but they want the reward, but they don't want to make the sacrifice. And that Luke 6 is where we get a five-fold blessing to our giving. Listen again. Give and it shall be given to you. That's one. Good measure. That's two. Press down. That's three. Shaken together. That's four. Running over. That's five. Now think about it. How many of you, when you buy cereal in a store, it's about half full? Because in shipment, there's air in it. And it gets jostled, shaken around. And it gets packed down. So God says, I'm not going to bless you with air. I'm going I'm to pour it out. I'm going to shake it down. Pour more in until it spills over. That's how he wants to bless you. All right? But it doesn't stop there. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the offering for the saints, act according to the orders I issued to the churches of Galatia. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So while that scripture tells us to give, we have to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to see how God rewards our giving. He says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always you having all sufficiency in all things, you may have abundance for every good deed, every good work. So God wants to bless you so that every time there's a need, you can give something. You can give something to help. That's called the law of the harvest. And it's simple. Only what is sown can be reaped. And all reaping is proportionate to our sowing. In other words, sow little, reap little. Sow much, reap much. So we reap in proportion to our giving. Now, there's a great reward in our sacrifice. Yep. Let me close with some thoughts about sacrifice and about partnership. Just a couple of true stories. A generation ago, a man dreamed of going to Africa as a missionary. Unfortunately, his wife was frail in poor health, so it was obvious she could never take the rigors of an African mission field. Thinking his dream was abolished, gone, and that his life wouldn't make much of a difference for God, he went to his father to work, and his dad was a dentist. His side business was making unfermented grape juice for churches to use in communion services back during the temperance movement. Now, you know who he was? T.B. Welch and son Charles. Yep, Welch's grape juice. He became a billionaire and gave millions to missions for the kingdom of God. He did more for missions as an investor than he ever would have as a single missionary in Africa. William Carey in 1786 was ordained for the ministry at age 25. He had a dream for India, but his ministry group and friends were negative and unsupportive. Later, he met a man named William Potts. When Carey shared his dream of India, Potts said, I'll partner with you and back you up. 
So Carrie agreed to go, provided Potts would pray for him, support him, and watch over his family while he was gone. Six years later, 1792, with Potts and now a couple of other partners, Carrie went to India, translated the Bible into 11 languages, and became known as the father of modern missions. The power of teamwork and partnership. Finally, in Exodus chapter 17, the Amalekites are fighting Israeli's army led by Joshua. Moses goes up on a hill to pray and to lift up the rod of God. And as long as his hands and the rod were lifted up, Joshua and the Israeli army prevailed over their enemies. But when Moses became tired and lowered his arms and pulled the rod down, then the Amalekites prevailed against Israel. So Aaron and Hur, seeing what's going on, partnered with Moses, and each one of them got under an arm of Moses to support him until Joshua won the battle. Now Moses and Joshua got the credit for the victory, but make no mistake about it, there would have been no victory without the partnership of Aaron and Hur, right? No leader in anything can succeed without partners. And Cindy and I are eternally grateful to God for your partnership with us at Summit Christian Center. 33 years ago, I didn't need a sound technician. We didn't even have a sound system. Today, we need a crew of parking attendants, half the San Antonio Police Department, greeters, choir members, musicians, nursery workers, children workers, video production, building maintenance, security, hospitality service. We didn't need that when we were little bitty. But when you start to cast vision and you start to do something significant and you start to grow, you discover very quickly you can't do it alone. Our first electric bill in this building was greater than one year in our old building. And I hate to go out and look at that meter now. I have no idea. Yeah. Unbelievable what it takes. Your offerings run this building. Your offerings that are above your normal giving help us outreach to our community and to those in need. I don't know if you're aware of it, but while you sit back some, sit back and watch or be entertained, we, we support all, all of Bear County Child Protective Service children. We take care of every one of them at Christmas, and we don't bring a toy collection in. We buy exactly what that child wanted, just that. Not take what's there. We give them what they want. That's all of Bear County. We also support almost elementary school. Not some, the whole school. We buy all their supplies for a year. Plus, we feed them when they're not in school lunches because these are underprivileged minority children and many from undocumented uh, families and parents that are there. We probably reach as many minorities and underprivileged kids as any one church in this city outside of us. We live out here in gated communities out here in the midst, and yet our money, our people, and our service still feed and clothe the poor and the marginalized and the minority. If I'm going to partner with somebody, I want to partner with somebody doing something. 
we're doing plenty. And I, I mean, you can't get 10 out of 10 anywhere, but I reckon we could probably get eight out of 10. I don't know of a perfect church unless it's you. I don't have no idea, but we do the best we can, but we couldn't do that without resources. So it takes money to pay the mortgage payment, to pay the electric bill, to pay the staff salaries. And I watch in the newspaper, somebody's raising uh, $60 million for a jet or, or a 35, 40,000 foot mansion. And they've got a Bentley and a, this, this doesn't happen much, but it gives all of us a bad name. My house is in my name. I pay every dime on it. Church doesn't pay a stinking penny. Uh, Cindy's car, I pay for it everything in it. Church has nothing to do. Church owns one car. I drive it, but I buy the gas for it. So we don't have anything hidden to avoid taxes and live luxuriously or extravagantly. Your money goes in and pays the bill and helps others, and it always will. And so I urge you to get out of the pew and help us. Be somebody who will make a sacrifice so we can make a difference in so many lives. And I could go through a list of over 25 other ministries and charities that we have supported and do support financially, and our people do. Care, compassion, life under the bridge for the homeless people, clothing. You'll see some on video today. Now look at the impact your sacrifice will bring to the lives of others. We're enjoying the comfort of a facility today because years ago, people with me sacrificed to buy these 68 acres and this building. And you get to sit in it and enjoy it. But now, to build a gym and a family life center, to build on the other side a children's building for expansion, we got to sacrifice again so we can be blessed in our future. So you're enjoying the sacrifice of a previous generation at Summit but now that you're here, if God puts you here, it's time to sacrifice for the next generation that will enjoy the privileges you have enjoyed, right? You don't want to be a taker, do you? A parasite. You want to be a giver. Genesis 22, sacrifice always has a future return. Always. Your seed, your children, your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies. I want that for my kids and spiritual family. Always remember other people are watching you. As Hur lived out his life and performed his God-given ministry with Moses, others were watching. Years later, when God needed somebody to build the tabernacle of Moses, his eyes settled on one man named Basileel. And Basileel happened to be the grandson of Hur, who had served Moses faithfully. You don't know who's watching in your own family. And it may be your grandchildren. My grandfather, his activity serving God, tithing, giving as a businessman, because they raised me, my family was divorced five times, he had no idea the impact he was going to have on me. I went farther than him. And I hope my children and my grandchildren will go farther than we've been able to go because they're watching. See, our lives and our sacrifices are an investment in the lives of others for the future. We're making a statement about the greatness of our God. We want to make God famous in the earth. Every sacrifice is an investment in this generation and the one to come and ultimately for eternity. We're never, listen, we are never going to succeed beyond the sacrifices we're willing to make. Or you'll divorce. Or you'll quit your job. Or you'll quit your church. Or you'll drop your friendship. Or you'll drop your dream. You'll bring it way down here 
because you're not willing to make the sacrifice to get it. Every single thing in life calls for some measure of sacrifice. You are who you are because of why you are. And we're here for such a time as this. Let it be said that in our day, we did well. Let it be said that in our day, we didn't back off the challenge of commitment and sacrifice. Let it be said that in our day, we took every opportunity given to us to commit, to dedicate, to move forward, to use our talent, our resources for something bigger and outside ourselves. Let it be said by the next generation that we gave it all we had and we gave the best we had and that we didn't just live for our life, but that we made that decision to live larger than this present life. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.